Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Odds Maker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! And now, let's get it on! Against the spread, Winning Picks with Mark Lawrence! Hi everybody, welcome back once again. This is Mark Lawrence going against the spread with our cast and all-star crew, Victor King from King Creole Sports, Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com, and Jim Feist, the legend from Las Vegas, as we get ready to go against the spread on this week's NFL and pro football cards. And guys, before I bring Andy and Jim in here, Victor, a little quick recap, if you will, of what you saw or what stuck out to you on a football card last week. Well, an adventurous uh, weekend down here in South Florida. I'm sure we're going to cover the ending of that uh, Miami of Florida Hurricane Georgia Tech game a little bit as we talk about our that game during our college football segment. Uh, another big win for our Dolphins down here as well. And, uh, yeah, it's October down here. We're still in hurricane season. It's still hot down here in South Florida. But uh, another guy who's hot is uh, probably Mark Lawrence. I'm showing a 5-2 and two football weekend for Mark Lawrence. Very nicely done, Mark. Uh, let's see here. 3-0 and oh in college football. Oklahoma State on Friday. Uh, Oklahoma on Saturday. Wyoming with the outright winner on Sunday. And uh, in the NFL, winners with the Jaguars plus the points in London and the Jets plus the points as well. Nicely done, a five and two weekend, Mark. Thank you very much, Victor. I appreciate that, and I appreciate everybody that supported us along the way with that particular weekend. We're really beginning to build some momentum right now, as a lot of football teams are doing just that. And we're talking about what, a little bit of South Florida and what's going on here, Victor. Uh, you know, we've got uh, this fastest show on earth here with the Miami Dolphins, and Next Gen Stats is putting timers on them, and they've got the <laughs> five fastest players in the, in the football league. And they are, I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, but we also got the other side of the coin, our Miami hurricanes down here who got off to a terrific start this football season. And then somehow the coach fell asleep last week in what was one of the biggest bonehead plays I've ever seen. I was going to save this for our round table talk, but I guess I couldn't save it. Uh, I think what really upset me the most about Cristobal doing what he did, uh, it was almost like Herm Edwards handing the ball off. Remember the Philadelphia Phillies when they fumbled the football and didn't need to run the play? Same thing here. Didn't need to run the play. But I think what really upset me the most is the way he, that he explained it and tried to justify it afterwards, saying that we practice handoffs like that in for situations like that. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> at some point you got to own up to it. And uh, it, it's unbelievable. The thing of it is, is, you know, you see a lot of tweets and so forth and whatnot, and people say he should have been fired right there, right then on the spot. And all those things and those thoughts do come, uh, come pouring out. But the fact of the matter is they can't afford to fire the guy. I mean, he's got right. such a, I mean, a monstrous buyout clause and that's not even counting how much money they had to pay Oregon just to bring him in here. Uh, and I don't want to say I told you so and things like that, but, I can go back to my days when he was here at Florida International, and it ended up turning him into a winning program. But uh, 
they didn't do things the right way. I mean, in other words, he got out yarded in a lot of those football games and, uh, but he still won people over and uh, Oregon ends up uh, taking him out to the West coast. And uh, he's a terrific recruiter. And that's really what he does. It's sort of the Peter principle role where you do one thing. Well, you elevate yourself to another status. You can't handle that status. Well, he can't handle being a head coach. He needs an assistant head coach along with them on the sideline uh, to remind him of the decisions that he's supposed to do and make. But that's me on my soapbox against Mario Cristobal. And uh, again, I guess I kind of had to get that off my chest here because everybody down here in South Florida is really blasting him, Victor. Yes, they are. And uh, I'd like to, if possible, if there is a perspective either from Andy or Jim from out in Vegas about what happened down here, if those guys have anything. Oh, oh, I was going to say, it didn't really affect the point spread, I guess. Uh, well, it, it affected the money line for sure. So if you had uh, Georgia Tech, you had a very nice winner. If you had Miami, uh, you can't feel any worse than uh, you did. But uh, uh, I've never been a big fan of Mario Cristobal. He uh, slowly began the decline in the Oregon program from which they've now nicely recovered. He had a great record at at Oregon using a lot of the talent he inherited, but I've never been a fan of his decision-making going back to his days at FIU. Jim, what did you think about it? Well, we, we see a lot of bad decisions in coaching at both levels, college and, and I'm sure at the high school level, which I never watched, but um, college and pro, we see bad decisions all the time, kicking a field goal on fourth and one in a situation you're down nine and you, you know you, i mean just the crazy things going for it when you shouldn't um i mean the coach at the chargers have been known for that the last couple of years he just he makes terrible decisions i mean crystal ball just won't, maybe it's a brain fart you know in 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 poker which i do play uh you know you sometimes you get a brain freeze and you just don't know what the hell you're doing or you, you look back and say oh my god how'd they do that the worst thing is that they try to defend these decisions. I love the line, and I'm sorry I laughed in that, but <laughs> we practice handoffs. Okay, well, yeah, maybe, maybe so. I, I hope you do. I never think I'd say this. You talk about Brandon Staley of the Chargers. There are not many very, very uh, times that he won't be the second best coach in an NFL game, but they do take on the Dallas Cowboys Sunday night. <laughs> hey Andy, and you're saying that coming from Las Vegas, where your head coach uh, doesn't really sit up there with the highest. Uh, I give him time. He well, this is his second time around, so he's a veteran at uh, making questionable mistakes. Uh, <laughs> but but at least not one that kept him out of the playoffs a few years ago. <laughs> True. Well, it makes us pull our hair out. That's for sure. Especially those of us that wager on their games and we see these decisions that are, oh my God, what are you thinking? And you know, we're not supposed to be the person in charge to make those calls, but at least have a bit of common sense in what it is you're doing. Uh, especially if, you know, we're backing your team, at least, uh, if not financially to the university, at least uh, at the betting windows anyway, nonetheless. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence Against the Spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. I'm visiting with Jim Feist and Andy Isco, both from Las Vegas, Victor King from King Creole Sports. And Victor, before we move over to our college football game of the week. Any other thoughts you had on last week's action? Well, uh, going over to the NFL very, very quickly, has there been an ever, ever been a better 5-0 and team than the San Francisco 49ers? I mean, that shellacking of the Cowboys on Sunday night put a definite big-time exclamation point. And uh, their point differential now 
is uh, plus 99 points through five games. It basically means they're winning by an average of 20 points per game. And here's what I got from um, uh, NFL game day stats, Mark, in regards to that, that that point differential is the sixth best differential by any 5-0 team since the merger way back in 1970. And the caveat is eight of the previous nine teams in that top 10 list went on to make the Super Bowl that season. That's the kind of rarefied air that these Niners are in these days. Well, they are in rarefied air. There's no question about that. Hands down the best team in the National Football League. I know people that live in Philadelphia might want to contend that, but I think uh, we wouldn't hear that argument through anyway. But I will say this, and I'm not going to forecast an out a score in a game and so forth and whatnot, but when you meet with the type of success that San Francisco has met with early on in the season, and you are camped at home for three in a row football games within your first five doing that, now you take out onto the road. It's going to be an animal of a different nature here for this football team. And if the Cleveland Browns had a healthy Deshaun Watson this week, I'd be on the Browns like white on rice in this contest. But Cleveland's problem here is much with Deshaun Watson like it was with Baker Mayfield back in the day. Remember the horrific shoulder injury that he played through all season long? Well, if the Browns throw Watson out there, it'll be much the same type of a situation. And I don't know if that's good or bad or indifferent for the football team. And if they don't, uh, they've got to worry uh, about a, a rookie quarterback who will look absolutely uh, shaken in his first football start. So I don't know what the Browns are going to do. They're going to need Deshaun Watson, a quarterback this particular week. But it'll it, it be Mark, interesting. Mark, they, they, did, yeah. they did announce that if, if they do go without Watson, they're going to use, uh, I think it's P.J. Walker. P.J. Walker, yeah. right. Okay. Right. Well, yeah. at least he's got some experience, Jim. You know, I might buy into that. Uh but it's still, <laughs> I don't think it's going to help me uh, run to the window to back the Browns, knowing I got P.J. Walker. <laughs> right. No, no it, it's unfortunate not. about Watson not being there. And um, the scuttlebutt that I get from Cleveland from my big brother, Kurt, is that they're basically probably going to be shutting him down for a month or so. Again, unfortunate this week. Uh, I say that because, you know, the defensive coordinator of the Browns is Jim Schwartz. Yes. Uh, sharp man, one of the They're best. Having an outstanding season, and Kyle Shanahan has faced Jim Schwartz nine times. Shanahan one and eight wow. in those matchups. His offense has scored over twenty points just once in those matchups. It's no wonder the game the total is down to thirty-seven points. But uh, again, this was primarily when he was with the Falcons and Schwartz with the Eagles. But, again, he has really struggled against Jim Schwartz coach defenses. Well, a lot of teams have struggled against his defense this year in particular, Victor, the number one defense in the National Football League. San Francisco, the number three defense in the National Football League, number three offense as well. But uh, let me ask you this real quickly, Victor, before we move on here. And this is my simple way of uh, maybe not without digging as deep as you do into the totals, but on the surface when I see things like this, I see – a matchup of a number one defense and a matchup of a number three defense. Uh, you know, my first inclination is obviously to look to the under and thinking that the way only way this game gets over is both defenses bust in the same game. But it sounds like you say Vegas has made the adjustment with this low total. Right. It's already come down a couple of points. And again, this this could be the first over underline we see in the, I don't know, 36 or less point range 
once we get to uh, Sunday, uh, because there's also a fact that the weather might not be very good in Cleveland this week as well. So uh, I don't think the line has stopped going down on this game, and it won't. I wanted to add in here, um, the sure. weather is an issue this week. We have storms, we have rain, we have winds. And, for example, tomorrow night with the Kansas in Kansas City, they're predicting wind of 20, 22 with gusts up to 60. Um, it's going to be difficult to throw the ball, especially – when, when it's crosswinds, and um, it's, it's going to be really dependent on controlling the ball, not turning it over, running the ball, playing good good defense. And when you look at that, that takes a lot away from Denver because their defense has been horrendous. And um, although they're not a very good team, they're not coached very well at the moment. Russell Wilson is at the tail end of his career, and although he's played better this year than last, um the weather is is all over the place out there, and and in the Cleveland game, you well, Mark, you guys are you guys know Cleveland very well. Uh, on Long Lake Erie, you could get gusts, you could get all kinds of things going on there. High winds are nothing uh, surprising to that stadium. So you add in P.J. Walker or D.R.T. and even Watson with a bad shoulder if he went, which I don't think is going to happen. And, you know, San Francisco, I mean, you've got Purdy, who is yet to lose a regular season game. I don't want to jinx him. I like the kid. He's doing absolutely great. But he played at Iowa State, and they're not adverse to playing in bad weather there either. So he's used to it. Some of maybe some of the other players are not. But this is going to be a tough game. I mean, you're looking at seven with a low – I mean, if you get a total of 36, 35, somewhere in there – with a point seven points, you're basically saying you're not going to expect Cleveland to score. Well, Jim, it sounds like being the professional player that you are, handicapper player, it sounds like uh, there's a pretty decent portion of your time that you allot to check out weather in football games. I would imagine this is true. Is that right? Well, yeah. You know, what do you what do you have an edge? You don't really have an edge over the handy over the over the odds maker if you just go by you know, the scores and, and the, the stuff that you see in front of you, if you can get a lead on the weather or a lead on injuries, it gives you that little bit of edge. And then you throw in your trends and and, and the fundamentals of a game uh, on top of it. But if you do the same thing that the odds maker does in order to beat the odds maker, you're probably not going to get enough of an edge to overcome the 110 big. And, yes, I, I do dig into weather. I made five – total bets when I got the weather on Monday. Now I'm betting basically on the weatherman because <laughs> if he's wrong, <laughs> you know, then I'm, I'm screwed, which has happened. I've, I've done that. But in, in this case, uh, we got that it's 41 and a half down to 37. And there's other ones that have moved significantly. Um, so I've made moves like that. And we, I'm hoping the weatherman is right. Because if he's not, I'm really laying some bad numbers. You know, you know, Jim, one of the common thoughts is that bad weather will normally dictate what you're doing, betting unders. Are there situations where a weather report might might cause you to consider betting an over any circumstances? Mm, that's a good one. Um, 
Probably goes more of value than anything, I would think, I, right, I Jim? Can't, I, I can't think of, of, of one. I mean, one thing that, you know, over is um, we always used to look, you know, you want real good weather, real good conditions, you look for teams and domes. You know, you're not going to get the outside interference. So that might lead to that. Of course, the odds makers knows that too. So there goes your edge. But you know how you can get on some streaks and, and teams will go over or under just in long streaks and you just you just have to follow it. But no, I can't think of a specific thing that would lead me to want to bet an over unless well let me let me let me correct that. Suppose you lose a running back and now you're gonna to have to throw the ball more against the defense that doesn't have good corners. You'd look good for good safety. weather. So that that way that may you might lean that way and you say, well, there's going to be more passing and the defense backfield isn't that good to stop the pass. They're weak against that. Um, like, for example, Tennessee is not the strongest defense. They're a funnel defense. They, you, you can throw on them. And there's other teams like that. So if you, if you take away a pass rush and you give the quarterback a little bit more time against a weak defensive team against the pass, Yes, that would lean to the over. So, yes, that's a great question. Thanks for asking that. Checking all the boxes. That's what we're doing here on Mark Lawrence against the spread. Guys, let's move it over to our college football game of the week, if we will. And I'm going to let everybody know out there that this segment is being brought to you by our good friends at uwager.lv, where the world bets. And they want to let you know that every Friday night you can get minus 105 juice on every play you make throughout the weekend. That's minus 105 juice, and Jim Feist will attest to the fact of what value that means when you're betting football games, betting at 105 juice. You get Amen same payout, yeah, for sure. All you need to do is log on at uwager.lv or give them a call toll-free. The number is 800-U-WAGER. And with that, let's set this college football game of the week up, if we will, here, Victor. Uh, North Carolina, let's go right back to our Miami Hurricanes. I know we kind of uh, – really kind of overhauled them a little bit in the in the prelude to all this. But uh, what do you see happening with the Tar Heels and the Hurricanes this week? Big, big game here in the, um, you know, ACC conference. Uh, I believe, right, North Carolina is one of the three teams in the ACC that are still undefeated on the season, uh, Louisville, North Carolina, and Florida State. Uh, the OU line open at 56. It's been bet up to 57. There's even a couple of. 57 and a halfs out there for this game, uh, 7.30 Eastern, ABC TV, nationally ske uh, scheduled game. Both teams two and three over under on the season. Miami in their first five games have been at home four out of five games. They've only played one true road game thus far, and that was against Temple. And in that only road game, uh, it did indeed go over the total they are the number seven offense in the NCAA, 506 yards per game. They are the number 13 scoring offense at 39 points per game. North Carolina, again, also two and three over under. Number 13 offense, number 19 scoring offense, 37 points per game. So you got a couple of uh, outstanding offenses with dynamic playmaking quarterbacks. Of course, we're talking about uh, – Tyler Van Dyke of Miami and Drake May of North Carolina. And, you know, this is one of the first things we look for in an over, and that's two teams, not just one, 
that can trade points with each other. And of course, you got two experienced quarterbacks taking on each other as well. The series history does favor the over. Four of the last five meetings have gone over the total. Uh, special significance, average combined points per game in those last five Miami North Carolina matchups 67.2. That's about 10 points higher than this week's current over underline. You know, in college football, particularly in recent years, two high powered offenses usually tend to trump two good defenses. Of course, North Carolina, they scored 40 or more points in three of their last four games. They've yet to score under 30 in a game. And of course, prior to the Georgia Tech game, which Miami did have a lot of yards, they had scored over 40 points in three consecutive games as well. Uh, based on the point spread and the over underline, the implied score is North Carolina 30 and a half, Miami 27. Uh, this is a game in which, uh, like Jim touched on, there are some college football games in which Mother Nature may play a part as well. But with Mother Nature's cooperation, I think we do see both teams get into the 30s and a high-scoring affair in Carolina on Saturday night. We'll call a nice uh, two-star opinion on the over when Miami invades uh, North Carolina in a big, big ACC battle. Victor likes that scoreboard to be lit up in this football game. He's going to go over the total. Andy, how do you see this game handicapping out? Well, I mentioned uh, before that I'm not a fan of Mario Cristobal as a coach, and I do like uh, Mac Brown quite a bit. I think he's done a fine job this year. Uh, certainly one of the best jobs was to convince his quarterback to stay at North Carolina after he seriously considered uh, uh, turning pro after last season. Um, Miami, well, they had a tough end to their perfect season. And I know that, Mark, you like that uh, bubble burst theory, which would say this would be a good spot to normally go against Miami. And I pretty much agree. Uh, a couple of factors. I First of all, I like this North Carolina team. I like their consistency uh, all year. I like the way that uh, they've come out of games nice, uh, nice and healthy for the most part. I like their scheduling as well. Uh, the, well, they have the event. Miami has a game against Clemson next week. Now, of course, it probably means – a lot more to Miami's. They can't afford to lose this game, but neither can North Carolina. North Carolina still has, I'll say, a realistic shot at making the college football playoff if they can complete a perfect season, which would include a game in the ACC championship against what might also be an unbeaten Florida State. So that fact would put North Carolina. That's a lot of time down the road. I like a lot of what North Carolina does offensively, and I think their defense doesn't get the kind of credit uh, that it uh, it deserves for playing as well as they have. I think it's a reasonable number. I'm not going to make all that much out of the psychological impact of losing the game the way they lost, uh, unless they're spending too much time thinking about, A, what could have been, and B, we got Clemson next week. And, of course, as you pointed out, uh, Miami's uh, only been that, that or as Victor pointed out, only that one game at Temple, and that was a pretty easy uh, easy win for them. But they're stepping up in class. Of course, Carolina is stepping up in class as well. Uh, but I, I like the coaching edge of Mac Brown, especially what he's been able to do with this year's team where there was a lot of uh, uncertainty entering the season or after last season. Hey, Jim, Andy mentions a coaching edge in this football game. I think it's rather apparent, you know, the veteran and Mac Brown and the guy we just beat up in Mario Cristobal. Uh, yeah. do you, in your, in weighing your power ratings and you've got coaching mismatches or uh, matchups per se, do you, will you adjust a team up or down dependent on the coaches 
more so than the teams? Co- coaches mean a lot more to me than they do to a lot of handicappers. I'm, I'm very coach conscious, especially, I mean, there's not just the head coach. You got your defensive coordinator, you got your af- offensive coordinator. You also have the quarterback coaches and the special team coaches. So when these situations start to change many times in the off season, and for, for example, the Eagles lost both the defense and the offensive quarterback um, this year, and they don't look quite the same as they did last year, but I'm telling you, they're starting to look very, very good. And so they're, they're adjusting. They're not as explosive as they were. Of course, now they got the tush push at the end where you can't stop that. So if they get close <laughs> to the one yard line, they're going to score. And then they're running the clock out. So when they get a lead, you're not going to have much time to get the ball back because they're just running and running and running. I mean, last week against the Rams, they went like almost the whole quarter and the Rams had three plays. And, um, it, you know, once they get the lead, they're going to sit on it. So, to me, that leans to me thinking, what are the coaches doing? Well, I'm looking at the, the style that they play. When they get a lead, they're going to sit on the, to- on, the, on, the, on the number, and you're probably looking at some unders. You mentioned that. Uh, That's that just play. one example of how I look at coaches. I'm sorry? That's one example of how I look at coaches. Like for this, this week, you got the Monday night game. You got, you know, McCa- um, let's see, Dallas, the coach. McCarthy. McCaffrey, and then, of course, you got Staley for the Chargers. Neither one of those coaches are in my top 10 list at all, maybe my top 30 list. It may and come down just, to which coach has to make the last decision. You're right. You're right. And they'll do it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure of that. It's, uh, you look at that and you say, well, where's the edge here? And um, it's certainly I don't find an edge in the coaching department except maybe – the offensive coordinator for the Chargers was the offensive coordinator for Dallas last year. And uh, I give him a little bit more credit than what McCarthy is calling these days. I, I was very unimpressed with McCarthy on the Monday night game. I, of course, you know, or the Sunday night game I had, you know, I had the San Francisco side, the money, money play, money line play. But I'm also wondering about Dan Quinn the defensive coordinator for Dallas, who I give high grades to, but a terrible job against San Francisco. Now, you might cross that out and say, well, San Francisco is just a, a beast from another another planet because the way they're moving the ball and they, nobody stops them. They're scoring over 30 every game. But then against Arizona, they didn't look that good either. So they've lost two of their last three games, giving up a lot of points. So I've, I've become very unimpressed with what Dallas has got going. And, of course, I'm not very impressed with the ownership who has way too much to say about football decisions on that team. You know, Jim, that brings up a good point because you talked about the impact of, of – and I, I agree with you placing emphasis on coaches. In the NFL, I tend to place a lot of emphasis not just on the coaches but on the entire organizational culture. And we've seen franchises that have gone years and years. They may enjoy limited success, for example, the Arizona Cardinals a few years ago, Cincinnati in their current situation, but have a long history of just making the wrong decisions and the wrong choices. And that will affect not just looking at future for a season, but looking at uh, at situations in key games or in key stretches of the season as to an organization I can trust 
versus an organization that I can't trust. And like one of the examples that we'll be seeing throughout this year is the culture change in Washington, the organizational structure there. What happens with Ron Rivera? Does the team make progress? But I was curious how, how you and Mark place, uh, if any, what degree of emphasis you place just on overall culture of, a, of an organizational structure. Enormous for me. Um, I agree and 100%. I another example, what do you think about the culture in New England? Now you have Belichick, who's won six Super Bowls. He had Brady there for all those years. But overall in his career, it's kind of a marginal record. And then, of course, you got Kraft as the owner. And that's where the culture starts, with the ownership. Now, they are horrible. <laughs> They've scored three points in two weeks, lost by 34, and then lost by 35. I mean, somebody's got to make a decision as to what to do there. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about old age people because I'm one of them, but there gets, you get to a point where you're just not performing at the level you once did. And that happens to different people at different times. It can happen at 40 or it can happen at 70. But right now, and I go back to last year when Belichick named Patricia as the yep. offensive coordinator, which was one of the most ridiculous decisions I've ever seen in my life. So you go off of that and you say, okay, why the hell did you do that? Why would you take a defensive guy who's not very good at that either and make him the offensive coordinator with a young quarterback and screw the kid up totally and now change again, it's not working. Somebody's got to do something. Well, I just got word here, Jim, about that New England situation you were talking about, and they've scored three points, two games, that uh, Robert Kraft has made an executive decision. And what it is is the next home game, in Foxborough, every fan is going to be getting a handful of smelling salts when they go in <laughs> It may help. It may not. I don't know. But it, it's not going to help the team on the field, that's for sure. Let me put the final wraps on this uh, college football game, guys, so we can shift it over to the NFL side of things. Great, great conversation here about the National Football League and what's going on. My take in this uh, North Carolina-Miami football game is obviously the tragedy that happened in Miami. So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to run to my database and see what happens to teams like Miami who were favored by 20 or more, and they touched 20 at some point during the week, lost the whole game, and they come back as a conference dog the next week. And they do really, really rather well. The embarrassment, the red-faced embarrassment really, really steps up, and I think also the fact that the public is really anxious to fade a football team like this. The other thing I see inside this game is, Miami outstanded Georgia Tech in that football game, 453 to 250. And remember, Georgia Tech went 75 yards in two plays to win that football game. You take those 75 yards out if that fumble doesn't occur, and they drown them in this stats. Then it's 453 to 175. So Miami completely thoroughly outplayed them. It's a question of whether or not they can get back up off the carpet and do just that. And I'm going to play them plus the points against North Carolina here. I was watching interviews all week long. I've been hearing the players, and they are really standing up for, like they should, their head coach. Uh, they're not blaming it on him. They're saying you know, it was their responsibility not to be in that position. They got there. They weren't able to do anything about it. We're going to stand by our guy, so forth and whatnot. Now, if they're selling BS, I don't know. But all I know is the players are rather geeked up over the situation here. So 
I'm going to be on Miami plus the points in this football game, even though they played a really rather rotten football contest. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And let's shift it over to the National Football League side of things now. This segment, once again, brought to you by our friends at uwager.lv, where the world bets. And remember, they offer monthly 5% rebates, and you get the same free, same-day payouts at uwager.lv. Get in line for your monthly 5% rebate. All clients are eligible for that. Log on at uwager.lv or give them a call. The number is 800-U-WAGER. And with that, let's set this National Football League game of the week up here and uh, what we've got here, guys, uh, we've got a matchup of two teams, one that appears to be on the come and the other that's playing some surprisingly good football and they have for the last couple of years when the Cincinnati Bengals take on the Seattle Seahawks. Victor, how does this work up in your over-under uh, well-oiled machine, per se, as far as the total situation goes in the game? Well, Cincinnati's right around a field goal favorite. There's some two-and-a-halves out there as well. Uh, in terms of the total, it opened 44 it's come up to about 45 as we, again, do the podcast here. On Wednesday, the series between these two teams, six overs, two unders in the last eight meetings. Seattle two and two over under on the season. Cincinnati two and three. For Seattle, uh, 50.6. That's their uh, average points per game combined uh, this season. Uh, on the high side, definitely, in what has been a low-scoring NFL season. Uh, therefore, Cincinnati's number, not that surprising. Bengal games have averaged only 40.8 combined points per game. Now, Seattle, historically a very good road over team. In fact, the Seahawks have gone 9-1-1 to the over in the last six years as non-division road underdogs of 10 or less, like in this game. Uh, the Bengals, for, for in terms of the non-division situation, not quite as strong as their counterparts. But nevertheless, significant Bengals, 9-2 and two to the over last five years. Non-division home favorites of a touchdown or less as of late. Uh, Jim touched on it at the top of the show. The number one storyline in this game could very well be, again, uh, Mother Nature. Now, you know, we'll be checking in on the weather forecast for Southern Ohio in the next couple of days. But right now, again, we are seeing potential wind impacts in the 15 to 20 mile per hour range. And uh, I'm thinking that perhaps that forecast has kind of kept this total from rising any higher than it is right now. But for me, guys, I think it's finally the time, uh, the first time all season, in fact, to buy low on the Bengals' offense. They got the monkey off their back last week in Arizona, and they'll be facing one of the worst explosive play defenses in the league in Seattle. Seattle gives up a lot of explosive plays. Those are runs of 10 or more yards. Those are passing plays of 15 or more yards. Provided the forecast is good, uh, this game is probably one of the few this week in the NFL in which I think there's some value on the over. You know, in this week's uh, newsletter, guys, uh, the Playbook Football newsletter, in Mark's write-up for this particular game, he did mention the extreme disparity in run defense for each team. Cincinnati allowing a whopping 5.3 yards per rush on the season, while Seattle is allowing 
only 3.2. And after uh, entering the numbers into our database, here's what I get. 9, 1, and 1 to the over since 2006 for any NFL game four or greater home favorite who allows five or more yards per rush on defense against any opponent who allows 3.5 or less yards per rush on defense. Cincinnati slots into the first aspect of that query. Seattle, the second, they've gone 90% over, over a 15-year period. So, I mean, there you have it. With that said, we'll plan on a normal three-star play on the over in this game, but I will circle back kind of over the weekend to, again, check in with the weather. Yeah, I kind of like that, Victor, how what I wrote up about the game, Victor picked up on, immediately took it to the to his database and come up with a real nice handicapping slot in the football Thank game, you. which supports the over. Job well done. Very, very nice. Andy, how do you see these two teams shaking out this week, the Seahawks and the Bengals? Well, Mark, before I continue, I do want to ask uh, Victor, and I guess Jim and yourself a question as well, and that concerns overtime. Do you include uh, let's say point totals in overtime when you look at averages, because you know they're going to be three to six to not, sometimes nine points scored uh, in an overtime period. And if you play two or three overtimes, your season total, especially early in the season, your averages could be inflated by three to four points per game. It gets less as the season wears on, but it, that could also have an impact not just on totals, but also on individual team totals and the lines maker. I'm guessing the lines maker, I shouldn't say this because I don't say it, it's just a guess. I would think they probably use full season totals as opposed to backing it out. For example, in college basketball, when I look at team totals and over-under results, I back out overtimes. Of course, there's more scoring in college basketball, but the same principle would apply to, to a college or pro football. Interesting. Very interesting. Personally, personally, I don't, I don't include. Go ahead. I don't include uh, the uh, the overtimes in my work at all. You get it like it's just part of the game, then, right, Jim? Uh, yeah, I it, it happens so infrequently that I I and I, I try to keep all the metrics in to to the just regular time of the game, not the overtimes. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, we charted in our uh, our well-oiled machine, our database, overtimes in both college and pro football. And after a while, we felt we had edges to begin with, and they began watering down and evening up and going the other way, regressing, and always getting back to the mean, if you will, per se. And uh, I'm with you, Jim. I don't, I don't need your to overtimes anymore in situations like that. Now, there could be extreme circumstances and situations where you may have had a, a double-digit underdog who managed to pull off a, a victory in overtime, and that could leave the that favorite flat the next week, or it could bring the dog ecstatic, or maybe come back to earth the next week. But I'm with you; I don't really incorporate overtimes into the handicap anymore. Yeah, that's kind of like what I thought. Because the the alternate to that is the total the the results might be inflated, but a lot of it also has to do with the pace of play. Where overtime games, you know, let's say a team normally has 125 snaps offense and defense. Well, they may play a game in overtime in which it may only be 118 because they're two predominantly running teams and they don't have that number of plays. So I think you know, for ease sakes, it, it's probably easier to include them just because that's in the official statistics. But on the other hand, you may want to make some note of teams that may play, let's say, more than two overtime games a year is generally what I will say it's worth taking a look at. Now, as far as uh, uh, the game between Cincinnati 
and uh, Seattle. I, I'm also on the Cincinnati uh, side. I wanted to see a good effort out of Joe Burrow. We got that effort last week. He seemed to be fully uh, – I, I don't know if he took anything, if they shot him up or anything, but his calf certainly did not appear to uh, to bother him last week. And Cincinnati, because of their recent success the past few seasons, uh, they found themselves in a hole early this year. Now, last year they overcame an 0-2 start. And they had that game against Buffalo canceled. So they only uh, had to play uh, 16 games last year. And now they're in a similar situation at two and three and playing every game with a, uh, a sense of urgency. Uh, that was a, a huge win they had uh, last week, even though it was non-conference. But I think, and again, like a game like this, and of course, this one does not have tiebreaker implications to the extent that, again, it's another NFC rival. So it uh, tiebreakers normally would, would come into play, uh, you know, if you were playing a conference rival, uh, say, if uh, Cincinnati were playing a team in the other division of the three divisions. Uh, I like what I've seen out of Cincinnati. I'm a little concerned about a lack of a running game. But uh, Seattle has been vulnerable over the past few years. This is not the uh, uh, the Legion of uh, of Boom uh, or Doom, for that matter, that we associate back with the uh, Super Bowl teams of uh, a number of years ago in the middle part of the last decade. I think Cincinnati has found its stride, and I think that's also going to improve the play of the defense because when the defense knows that now they have an offense that can bail them out if there's like a turnover or or just uh, uh, some other misplays or ineffective offense three and outs, they tend to play a little bit better knowing that the pressure is not on them. And that's the way Cincinnati's defense has played the last few years. And I think they're back at that level. Now, of course, it could very well be that last week's game against Arizona was a one-off and Burrow uh, has some issues again, but we haven't seen that in the past out of him that once he's been healthy, he's generally put out a, a nice run of three, four, five games in a row. So I'm willing to back him, especially at under a field goal against the Seattle team that, uh, uh, yeah, they are coming off the bye. They are coming off two straight, uh, two straight wins. Uh, but I think it's a, it's an urgent, it's a sense of urgency spot for Cincinnati given the play of the rest of the division. Hey Jim, let me ask you this question. Uh, as far as the Bengals are concerned here, they're beginning to take on a new complexion here with Joe Burrow being healthy, and that means the world of that football team, obviously. Uh, at what point do you feel the odds makers either compensate or overcompensate for the health of Joe Burrow moving forward? Did we lose Jim? Yep. He's, he's appearing upside down on my screen, which I think has generally indicated a disconnection. Or a trip to the moon, one or the other. <laughs> uh, okay, we will, we'll, we'll, we'll tie back in with Jim here, uh, get him back up on the screen here. Uh, my thought here on this football game, guys, is this, is that the numbers that Victor shared with you about uh, the, the offensive yards per rush and the defensive yards per rush are there. And I mentioned in the write-up that the midweek alert would absolutely scold me if I aligned myself with the Cincinnati Bengals in this football game, knowing that I'm taking that big, huge disparity and laying points with a team like this. But my caveat is this, and much like Andy says, a lot of what Cincinnati put up for numbers this year were put up with a Joe Burrow dinged up Joe Burrow. They weren't the same offense, and because they weren't the same offense, the defense had to be on the field more, and they were more prone to uh, t more time of possession for the other team, more yardage allowed than nor normal. Lou Anarumo, the Cincinnati Bengal defensive coordinator, has got to be staying up at night right now with the Cincinnati defense, and you know he's going to bring it back together because they've had one of the best defenses in the NFL under his lead here. So I'm going to put all this with a, a note of caution here about the Bengals, and I'm going to really truly use this as a gauge game for Cincinnati. 
if Burrow plays well and the Bengals continue to look like the Bengals of old with Joe Burrow, we're going to go back and say he's back. If they don't, they struggle. We're going to have to still continue to question him. So I think it ends up being a real, real tough call in the game. And I think the safest thing, as Victor mentioned, might well be the over in the football game. Do we have Jim back with us? Uh, am I here? Can you hear me? Yes, we yes. can hear you, Jim. Okay, cool. Uh, we sort of semi-wrapped up this uh, this take here on the Bengals and the, and the Seahawks, but a question I wanted to ask you before we lost you for just a little bit there is uh, Cincinnati appears to be a little bit on the come right now because Joe Burrow appears to be getting healthier by the week. At what point do you feel Vegas overcompensates for a 100% healthy Joe Burrow being in the lineup? Well, they, they know the public is all over Joe Burrow and, and the public is going to bet him. So if the public believes that he's back, they're going to bet him. And you're seeing the rise in the, in the, in the spread um, for this team. I mean, it'll, it was, we're up to three in a lot of spots now. And, you know, I don't know how good they are compared to Seattle. I mean, you got a you got a coach in Seattle that has a proven commodity. He's got a solid team. They played well last year. Geno is playing well. They're three and one. They're coming off the bye. They're not going to be afraid of playing in bad weather because Lord knows they play in bad weather a lot in Seattle. So they're very used to rain for sure and wind. And you know, the Bengals. Even though we're talking about Joe Burrow as, as the issue with them the first couple games, it, it, their offensive line is not that strong, and it hasn't been. And the run game is a little weak. So I'm not too sure I feel comfortable saying that Cincinnati is all that much better than the Seahawks in the present condition with the bye and everything for preparation and everything else. And the other thing is we don't give teams much value for home field anymore. I mean, yes, it used to be three and there used to be people saying, well, if you, you back in the day when you played Seattle, it might be seven at home, but now we're giving everybody one and a half, one, two at the most. So you basically have a toss up game and you, you give them, we're giving a lot of credibility and credence to, Burrow and company because they went down and beat Arizona. Well, we all know that Arizona isn't a great team. They're playing with a lot of energy and they're, and they're much better than we gave them credit for preseason. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to jump off and, and say this is a, it's a gimme, gimme for Seattle or Cincinnati in the game. Matter of fact, if I see anything bigger than a three or a the three priced up high enough. I'll probably jump on the dog. But I do want to say this. When the line came out, I did bet the over right away. This game is sitting right in that pocket with the bad weather, the rain, the wind. These teams can play in that, but if it's too windy, and it's right now it's saying 17 miles an hour prediction, it depends on whether it's straight up and down the field if it's crosswinds, it's really hard to throw the ball in a crosswind because you don't know where the hell it's going to come down. You might throw it this way or that way. It's going to go as far or a little longer. But if it's crosswinds, it's difficult. So I don't know that I can get out of line with, with any big bets. 
Um, right now, it's a north and south wind, which means it's right in line with the field. And um, I'm going to wait more closer closer to game time to make any decisions. Right now, I do have money on the over. Great analysis from the team here at against the spread, uh, Victor, Andy, and Jim on the National Football League this particular game, and also some football games on tap this week. And speaking of which, Jim does a terrific job with weekly videos. You can see those on our YouTube channel at Playbook Experts, or you can also see them at the website at PlaybookSports.com. Tune in for all of Jim's excellent on-the-spot NFL overview presentations. And with that, let's take a look at what one of them Jim put up last week when he talked a little bit of an overview of last week's games. Well, we're coming off um, a pretty good NFL weekend. I had a good day yesterday. Uh, my money line play with San Francisco was a lot easier than I thought it would be. That's why I went the money line instead of landing points. So even though I was right, I was kind of wrong because I could have got more return for my money if I just bet the, money, the point spread. But be that as it may, uh, Dallas is a bigger problem than, than we all thought they did. Um, obviously, Mike McCarthy is Stone Age. And uh, Dak Prescott is not the guy he was years ago since he lost all the mobility. Um, that's a team with, with real problems. Now, does that mean they're a bad team? No. Does that mean they're at the level of the better teams? And maybe a little bit shy of that. But, I mean, this week they were on the road. They're, they're favored at the Chargers. And then that's not easy. Chargers coming off a bye week. And they have a dynamic offense and a very questionable coach. But McCarthy's a very questionable coach as well. I go back to his history. He had um, Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. And he made it to one Super Bowl. And that's not saying much because they're two great quarterbacks that with uh, better coaching probably could have done a little bit more. Um, be that as it may, we'll go again with, uh, we'll start with Jacksonville upsetting Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo had a very big game against Miami and had across the pond and go over to uh, London to play in Tottenham Stadium. And Jacksonville had already been there. They played the previous week and won and um, they're ready. They're used to playing there, and um, they were prepared. And Buffalo came in a little flat. Uh, first quarter, Jacksonville took 11-0 lead. Goes to the half at 11-7, uh, Buffalo came back there. It was a close game. Uh, Buffalo's very talented. I'm not saying Jacksonville's at their level, but for that day they were, and that was a nice win. Uh, Houston, Atlanta, uh, you know, Houston came back to earth a little bit, but, you know, Atlanta made a good comeback in the fourth quarter. Um, I'm not too impressed with their coach. I think he's too conservative. He doesn't open it up enough. And uh, these coaches that are really, you know, they put a, a noose around their offense and they're not creative and, and then under desperation, they might become creative. But uh, I'm not impressed, but they did come out with a little bit of a win there. Uh, Carolina at Detroit, I am very unimpressed with the Carolina head coach. Um, he needs to give up the reins. He is not a great head coach, at least not for, and, and especially not for calling plays. 
That's kind of surprising because he was a quarterback in his playing days. But uh, Detroit is um, Detroit's looking good. Uh, am, I, am I saying they're a Super Bowl team? Probably not, but it's, they're possible because they are one of the better NFC teams. And they come out with a win and a cover there. Tennessee goes to Indianapolis. Indianapolis loses their quarterback, which is very t- difficult. But their uh, head coach was the Sykin, who was the offensive coordinator for Philadelphia last year. He's doing a hell of a job. And, uh, of course, Tennessee is Tennessee. I mean, they, they'll look good one week and not good the next. And we know Vrabel's a good coach, but not a great coach. He's a good coach. Yeah, the, what are you going to say about the Giants? And the Giants are an absolute mess, and now they got some serious injuries to the running back, Barkley and and, uh, and Danny Dimes. He's hurt. So, I mean, this is a bad team getting worse. And Miami came off the the Buffalo um, debacle. They won 31-16, but it should have been a lot worse than that. They could have easily scored 50. They gave up many opportunities that they um, should not have. Uh, New Orleans hammered New England. I think it's it's time for Belichick to say goodbye. I mean, he is uh, he's he's out of his element right now. I mean, just go back to last year when he puts Patricia in offensive coordinator status. That alone, that move alone should have gotten him moved out of that job. And you can see that he just doesn't have it. Yeah, they added an offensive coordinator this year that had some merit, but they're not doing it. And, I mean, they've lost by 35 and 34 points the last two weeks, and they've scored three points in two games. Come on. This is the NFL. This is an offensive league. He's got to move out. Uh, Baltimore did what Baltimore does. They go to Pittsburgh. They're favored, and uh, they gave it up. They, they easily could have won that game, but they uh, waited around, waited around, waited around, didn't score a point in the second half. Pittsburgh wins the game 14-0. In the fourth quarter, comes back and win the game by seven. Uh, this is what Tomlin does. This is what uh, Baltimore has been doing. The history of this, this matchup is amazing. Cincinnati finally got well. It looks like Burrow has gotten his leg back. He was more mobile. He did a hell of a job. They, they win it by 14 at Arizona. Arizona's got a lot of fight in them. They're, they're better than we thought they were going to be. They're not great. They don't have the talent to be great. But they have a lot of spirit and a lot of fight. Uh, you look at Philadelphia and what they did to the Rams. I mean, I think the Rams had almost the uh, entire two quarters. They almost had didn't even have the ball. Philadelphia takes the ball and they just they, they just control it. That's a hell of a football team. They're very, very good, well-coached. Even though they lost their offensive and defensive coordinators, they're still very strong. This is probably next to San Francisco. I would say you got San Francisco, Dallas, Philly, Detroit, the NFC teams, but nobody stands right now. Right now, San Francisco is the Super Bowl winner. Uh, I don't care what anybody says. If they played the game today, it would be very easily a San Francisco victory. Um, no matter who they played from the other side. The Jets beat Denver, but Denver Denver's a mess. I mean, the head coach came in there with a lot of spark and fire. The ego went way up. 
you got the ego with uh, Russell Wilson. He's not playing well, fumbles the ball, a lot of mistakes. The defense falling apart. The Jets score 31. They win the game 31-21. Uh, all, all up and down the field, I mean, they, they could score a lot of points, but they're dead in the red zone. Kansas City, uh, they're not the same. This is not the same Kansas City uh, team that we've seen in the past. They're hurting in a lot of positions. And I'm going to come back and talk a little bit more about that Dallas game. Great job once again, as always, by Jim Feist, the legend in Las Vegas. And so, Jim, tell me this. I know you mentioned about the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I didn't quite hear what you had to say about them. Uh, what was it you wanted to comment about the Dallas Cowboys at the end of your overview from last week? I am not. First of all, my, my criticism of Dallas comes right from the top. Jerry Jones is too involved in football decisions. Yes, he's a good businessman. Yes, he's made a lot of money. You know, and hats off. I mean, he's been exceptionally successful in that regard. But he has too much too much input to the football decisions. I don't feel Mike McCarthy's the right head coach there. I I I know that you're stuck with Dak Prescott, and I don't think he's a terrible quarterback. But you need better play calling. You can't run the kind of stuff he's running with Dak. Dak fades as the game goes on and his scripted plays in the beginning are okay as he fades, he fades as the game goes on. More creativity in his play calling needs to be there. And, you know, be that as it may, that Mike has been around a long time. He's a little old, a little stale. I, mean, I guess we all get there at a point, but you can't. You can't live in that in a modern age like we are. He, they need better play calling, and, and they need better quarterback play. But by the better quarterback play will come from better play calling because Dak does have talent. I don't think he's an A quarterback. I think he's a B quarterback, and on some days he's a B minus or a B plus. Now, I'm a little worried about something nobody is talking about. Why the hell are they giving up so many points on defense against Arizona? They got crushed and against San Francisco, which, okay, you could say it's San Francisco, which is the best team in football at the moment. Nobody can stop them. But this is a contender. This is a team that was, I mean, the line in the game was three and a half, sometimes four, three. So everybody was thinking this would be a competitive football game. But San Francisco marched up and down the field like they weren't even there. So what's happened to Dan Quinn in that defense? That bothers me. Well, we're going to keep an eye on that, the Dallas Cowboys and their situation, what's going on there. I know they're rattled right now in Dallas. We'll see whether or not Mike McCarthy can make an adjustment in time for the football games this weekend. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. With that, I'm going to turn it over to Victor King. And Victor wants to tell us a little bit about his preview and review of what happened in the National Football League last week. Victor, take it away, if you will. Hi again, everybody. It is Victor from Playbook with your NFL over-under review of week five, preview of week six, where we talk totals in the NFL. And let's get right down to the skinny from our totals tip sheet newsletter of course, you know, we are heading into the middle of the month of October. And, of course, one of the biggest storylines in pro football now over the last year and a half has been low scoring. It happened again last week. 
with 64% of all the games going under the total. There were 14 games played last week. Of course, four teams were off because of their bye. But in those 14 games, only five games went over the total. Nine of those 14 games ended up going under the total once again. So that's five weeks of NFL play thus far in the 2023 season. Four out of five weeks, low scoring, only one high scoring week as we get into week six. Again, after five weeks, the year-to-date results in the NFL, 34 overs, 44 unders, with a low average of only 44.6 combined points per game. Again, we've covered this a couple of times. It's worth mentioning again, and that is the difference between the NFL early afternoon games and the late afternoon kickoffs. We are now, again, like I say, five weeks into the season, and NFL early kickoff games on Sunday. That's 1 o'clock Eastern or earlier. Yes, we are including the London games in our query. These games have gone 15 and 27 over under. That's 64% under the total average of only 42.9 points per game. On the other hand, the NFL late afternoon games, you know, those games that start at 4.05 Eastern or later have been extremely high scoring this season. They've gone 13 and 6 over under overall. That's 65% over the total. And in fact, these games have averaged a clean 50.0 points per game. That's your biggest breakdown thus far this season. The early Sunday games have gone under. The late Sunday games have indeed gone over the total. Now let's run through your teams real quick here. There's only one, two, three. There's only four teams in the NFL that have gone over the total this season at a 65% or higher rate. Those five teams, number one, the Chicago Bears, the Bears are the only team in the NFL to go a perfect 5-0 and to the over this season. Average points in Chicago games, a combined 54.4. Right behind Chicago, the Denver Broncos, 4-1 and over under this season. Average Denver points per game, 60.4. Next up, a surprising team at 3-1-1 and overall on this season is the Arizona Cardinals. With 48.8 combined points per game, Arizona's five games have gone 3-1-1 one, and one to the over. And finally, the only other team that's gone over in 65% or more of their games, the L.A. Chargers. They were off last week with a bye. They've gone 2-1-1 one, and one over under on the season. Now we go to the other side of the scale, and we take a look at the under teams this far in the NFL uh, there's one, two, three, four, five, seven teams who have already gone one and four over under on the season. That's one over, only four unders. These big time under the total one and four teams, Tennessee Titans, Las Vegas Raiders, Atlanta Falcons, two teams from the AFC North, the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Giants have gone one and four, and so have the New England Patriots. And finally, that brings you to the king of the under, and that would be the New Orleans Saints this year, 
All five New Orleans games have gone under the total this season. And not only that, but dating back to last year, New Orleans' last 15 games, one over, 14 unders. The king of the under this year, again, has been the New Orleans Saints. For your free play this week, we're going to go to one of those late afternoon games that we've been telling you about that have been pretty high scoring. And we're going to be going over the total in the New York Jets-Philadelphia Eagles late afternoon game. A Jets over? Is that what we just said? It absolutely is. We've got a nice low over-under line of 41 or less. In fact, if you can find a 40 and a half, that's your target. 40 and a half or less. And then we'll be going over the total for your free play as the Eagles take out the New York Jets in one of those late afternoon starts. That's your free play for week six. Let's get back to the Mark Lawrence Against the Spread podcast. Best of luck. And then we'll talk to you next week in week seven. Once again, right on the money, Victor King with his review and preview of the National Football League. Victor will join me a bit later on in the show with our top complimentary plays. You don't want to dare miss that. If you like what you're seeing here, hit the like button down below. And even more so, if you really like what you're doing, hit the subscribe button and become part of the team here at Against the Spread and the podcast. You'll do yourself a favor. You'll be glad you did. Now, let's move it over to Andy Isco with Andy's uh, pre-recorded segment. He's going to take a look at the line moves and what happened in Las Vegas this particular week. Andy, take it away, if you will. Thanks, Mark. And now let's take a look at the major line movements or significant line movements that have occurred in the NFL since the lines were posted this past Sunday and using as a reference point also the lines that were the advanced lines posted a week ago this past Tuesday. In other words, following the playing of weeks four, week four's games, but prior to the playing of this past weekend's games in week five. In fact, we'll start with the Thursday night game between Denver and the Kansas City Chiefs in Kansas City. No movement in the line. That opened the advance line at 10.5. It opened Sunday night again at 10.5, and it remains 10.5. But there has been significant movement in the total, all of which has occurred since the Sunday line was since the line was reposted on Sunday afternoon following the afternoon games. Uh, the total for Denver at Kansas City to, at uh, that Tuesday 10-day line was 51.5, and, and that's exactly where it opened uh, on Sunday afternoon here in Las Vegas. The line since then, and we are recording this uh, podcast on Wednesday afternoon, mid-afternoon Pacific time. So there's been plenty of opportunity for the line to already move. It dipped down to as low as 46 and a half. That's a five-point line move. It's since gone back up to 47 and wouldn't be surprised if between now and game time on Thursday, we see that line tick up uh, a bit more. Uh, some of the other major line moves this week, the Minnesota Vikings at the Chicago Bears, the advanced line in the game uh, opened at 48. Vikings on the road at Chicago total at 48 and a half. Now the game came down when the Bears were playing and winning at Washington on Thursday night. And when that game got reposted Sunday afternoon, the line was back up at Vikings minus three and a half, dropped down to two and a half. The total was reopened at 49. That's dropped all the way down to 44. In fact, it actually touched 43 and a half for a bit, then bet up to uh, 44. San Francisco will be at Cleveland. The Browns are off their bye week. The 49ers off their demolition derby effort against the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday night. The advance line was three. Uh, when the game came down, it was put back up after uh, the uh, 
49ers win after staying at three. It opened up again at four and a half and has been bet up since then to six and a half. And considering that significant move, I'm sure a lot of the sharps out there, whether they like the Browns or not, probably laid the early number. We'll be looking probably to take seven if it gets up to there, may even take six and a half at this point, although they are again catching the Cleveland Browns off of a bye. The uh, Carolina Panthers, the winless Carolina Panthers, the league's only winless team, are at Miami to take on the Dolphins, who uh, covered in a not outstanding but still very strong performance against the New York Giants as double-digit favorites. In fact, the advanced line for the Dolphins hosting the Panthers last Tuesday, 11.5, actually got bat- bet down to 10.5 and, and then up to 11 before the game came off the board on Sunday mornings uh, after the uh, Dolphins did beat the Giants and the Panthers lost again. Uh, The line uh, was reopened at 14 and has dipped down slightly to the Dolphins now being a 13 and a half point uh, favorite. Uh, The Saints at the Texans. This game was posted early as a pick'em 10 days ago with a uh, 41 and a half total following the Saints uh, blowout of the uh, Patriots on Sunday and the Texans competitive but still losing effort against Atlanta on Sunday. The Saints opened as two-point favorites, and now they split the difference between the advanced line of Pickham and the Saints at two. Saints are now a one-point road favorite. The total of 41.5 dipped down to 40 initially, and now it's come up and exceeded the opening line. That total now stands at 42.5 for the game Saints at Texans. Speaking of those New England Patriots who lost to the Saints and the Raiders who defeated the uh, uh, Green Bay Packers Monday night, the advanced 10-day line was Patriots and, and Raiders pick them, total of 42 and a half. After this Sunday and Monday's performances, the Raiders opened two and a half, and they've been up bet as high as three and a half, and now pretty much settled all over as Raiders a three-point favorite. Cardinals at the Rams. Rams were a five-point advanced favorites. After Sunday's action, uh, the Rams were posted as six-point favorites. They were actually initially bet down to five and a half, so some early sentiment on the Cardinals, uh, and then the line has gone back up and over the opener of six. It's now the Rams favored by uh, seven. The total, which had opened at 45 and 45 and a half, has been bid up three points to 48 and a half. Uh, and finally, the Sunday night game between the Giants and Bills, Buffalo, the advanced line had Buffalo 12 and a half with a total of 48 and a half. The line has seen significant movement in both directions. In fact, the opening line Sunday night had Buffalo a 15 and a half point home favorite. That line got bat down to only 13 and a half. And there's been a little bit buyback on the bills, pushing it back up to uh, 14. I'll be interested as we all will to see if that line stays at a solid 14 or if enough money crosses through the counter to push it either down that half point again or back up towards that opener of 15 and a half. And so with those uh, line movements in place, I'll throw it back to you, Mark. That was Andy Isco with a line movement segment here on the National Football League for upcoming football games this weekend. And just a note to all of our listeners and viewers out there, Andy is now doing these contest selection results in a standalone segment. You can check out what Andy has to say about all the contests that are going on in Las Vegas Dial in at playbooksports.com or check it out on our YouTube channel, the Playbook Experts YouTube channel for Andy's standalone contest results to keep an eye on what's going on with all the contests in Las Vegas. Now, guys, it's time for one of our favorite segments of the show. We call it the round table, if you will. 
Not that we haven't had a round table here to begin with, to begin the football show, <laughs> but we're going to invite our producer Greg into the show to throw some questions at it, Victor, at all of us. Any thoughts or ideas we may have on that? We'll expound on those. So if you will, Greg, take it away. All right. Well, before we get into, uh, we're going to talk both college football and the NFL. Before we do that, uh, just want to remind everybody that our viewers that we are now over 400 subscribers on the channel. We just reached that mark. And our next goal, obviously, is 500. So uh, we want to get to 500. We'd love to get to 1,000 before the end of the football season. So uh, please subscribe if you haven't already subscribed. Again, our next goal is 500. Hopefully, we'll reach that in the next week or two. Uh, let's talk. Uh, I, I do want to bring up college football. You guys were talking, I, I believe, about um, some of these overtime uh, matchups. And I do want to bring up what happened last late, 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 late last Saturday night on the West Coast uh, as Arizona came oh so close again from winning a big game. Um, and they lost that one in overtime. Are you guys Okay, we'll st I'll start with Jim. Jim, are you okay with the new overtime rule where you go from, obviously you get the ball to 25, 20, whatever it is, and then after you score a touchdown, the second possession, you have to go for two if you get a touchdown, but then after that, you go for two points. Are you okay with going in that third possession right for the two-point play? Well, first of all, uh, it's there is no right answer. Uh, the way it was in the past, I mean, you could have you could have an all night long overtime game. I mean, back and forth. They had to find the way to cut it short, just like they did in baseball with the pitch clock and things like that. It, at, at some point, you got to make an adjustment, and some of these adjustments are questionable. But as long as it's fair for both teams, I don't have a problem with it. If somebody comes up with a genius method to make it better, I'm all for that too. But I'm okay with it because it is fair for both teams. Andy, you okay well, with that, or do you uh, would you come up with something if you were in charge? Well, I'll comment first about one of the points Jim made about as long as it's fair. Uh, the NFL finally wised up and allowed in, in the, uh, the playoffs now that if the first team scores a touchdown, you get an opportunity to match it, and then it becomes sudden death. But they still don't do that in regulation for determining teams that might might or not make the playoffs or make the playoffs. If uh, the Patriots move down the field and score a touchdown, the opponent should be able to match that. Then if you want to start talking about uh, uh, overtime or sudden death, that's one thing. But uh, both teams will at least had a chance to match what the other team did. Uh, as far as the college rule goes, let's go back about 30 years when if games ended in ties, they ended in ties and people started saying it's not fair and let's, you know, we need to have a winner and all that. And that's fine. Uh, I did not mind when they – I didn't really like the fact that they didn't use an, an NFL version time overtime and they started this gimmick with the 25-yard line. Okay, we've gotten used to it. It's okay. Both teams have a chance. I can understand we had that uh, seven or eight overtime game uh, sometime within the last decade. I want to see Tennessee and Arkansas, or some, some, some teams like that. Tennessee seems to be involved in a lot of those long overtime games, but now they've changed it. I, I would like to see two, maybe three – alternating possessions where you start at the 25 before you start going to, well, we just have to end this game. We'll go to the two point conversion. That's almost like, you know, at least the, the NF, the NHL, if I remall, remember correctly, and Mark, you might remember this. They started with a five minute overtime and then went to a 10 minute overtime and then they instituted the shootout. Well, the two point conversion thing is just like going to a shootout. It's like going to penalty kicks to decide the world cup matches. Once you get uh, past the, uh, 
the 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 group play. Um, there's the balance between uh, you know, the number of plays, the length of the game, rather, and getting a winner determined. And to a secondary, you know, you, the more plays you put out, the more you're exposing players to injury. Uh, and, you know, a lot's been made well. The oldest team played a three-overtime game last week in college. They're going to be, well, first of all, they're young kids. Number two, a three-overtime game might involve an additional 15 plays, you know, for each side because you're going from the 25-yard line and, you know, maybe one team needs needs uh, three or six plays in a double or triple overtime game to score or not score, and the other team needs the same and they just have the same result. So uh, the short answer to your question is no. I don't like the fact that starting with the third overtime, you have to go for two. I'd like to see it ideally after th- – ideally, I'd like to see it just continue infinitely. Uh, at some point, one team's going to score because you got a field goal or a touchdown. The other team's not going to score. But ideally, I think I'd like to see a minimum of three overtime – swap possessions uh, from the 25-yard line before they start getting gimmicky. Yeah, because, Victor, uh, let's not forget, it was because one of those games that you're talking about was the game a couple of years ago in uh, Penn State. It was the Penn State-Illinois game, I believe, where they went back and forth like eight times on the two-point conversion. Yep. <laughs> and because the offenses were so bad, they couldn't even score in the two-point conversion. So no matter how they were trying to gimmick their way to end the game, that still didn't even make any sense. So that uh, by alone, the by the way, that was that also happened. I think it was eight or nine overtimes that went that way in an Iowa uh, preseason game between the A squad and B squad. <laughs> <laughs> Good one, Victor. Uh, hey. Uh, I don't mind. The more overtime periods, the better in college football. Uh, They've said it before. I'll say it again. College overtime is where unders go to die, unless you're talking about the Big Ten. (laughs) Unless you're talking about the Big Ten Conference, right? Because then you could be playing for a long, long time. You know, I was very surprised about that USC game. You do realize that Arizona outstatted the Trojans by almost 150 yards in that particular game. The over-under was 69-and-a-half. It was tied 28-28 going into the first overtime. And uh, because of all the matching of the scores, they still combined for, what, 84 points in this particular game? Uh, Thank God it was a couple of high-scoring Pac-12 teams and not a Big Ten team like Andy was referring to, that's for sure. Well, you could dismiss, I think, uh, the thought, uh, at least on the Southern Cal part of the football game that perhaps they were looking ahead to the Notre Dame game and they played down to Arizona's level. But I think that's hogwash and garbage because it was a conference game. I think what happened more in the football game is the fact that the Southern Cal or uh, this USC defense, I should say, is being exposed uh, is being horrific. And uh, teams like Arizona were able to take advantage of a situation like that. And like you say, Victor, top them, beat them by 150 yards in the contest. There's no excuse for that. If you think you're a college football playoff team, I think what happened in that football game is the Trojans were exposed in a contest like that. But to answer well, your well, remember, Mark, excuse me, yes. it happened the week before in that game against Colorado where they had a nice lead and Colorado came all the way back, lose 48-41 in a game that, what was it, 21-24 point deficit at one point. So that's two weeks in a row. They have no excuses. No excuses, none whatsoever. Uh, but to Greg's point, my answer to overtime, whether it's the National Football League, whether it's college football, whether it's soccer, whether it's hockey, to me is 
Just simple. Play on. Just let them play the game. And somebody's going to win that game. Forget all the rules and all the two points and got to do this. In the National Hockey League, you got to play with three men against three men. Uh, in, in soccer, you're down to shootoffs or shootouts. Does a shootout really, really, if somebody wins a shootout in the advance, does that really tell you the true worth of who deserved to win that game? Uh, and no. As a hockey fan, Mark, and I was going to bring that up anyway, That yeah. uh, most hockey fans now can't stand the shootout anymore. They just don't want it. They, they'd rather you just go an extra couple of minutes to just keep it going. And if you have to even tie the game, tie it, but nobody likes to shoot it anymore. No. And so eliminate all that garbage play to win the game. So you're tied after the end of regulation play to win the game. The national football league does what they do. The uh, first team scores on their first position. They win. I don't know if I like that or not because they won because they want a coin flip. Uh, it should probably maybe be a little bit evened up where one, the first team scores, the other team has a chance to counter regardless of whether it was the first possession or not. But eventually somebody's going to score and somebody's not, and that's going to be the end of the football game. There's going to be a winner. There's going to be a loser and there won't be any ties. I think tennis, to- tennis gets it right. Even in Wimbledon, then they have that uh, multi-marathon a few years ago where they just kept playing. You got to win by two points when you play that uh, seventh set. Yep. You know, when it's tied six, six and you keep playing until one, one, one player wins eight, six or uh, like 20, no, 29, 27 or whatever it was. Back yeah. Then. Where they have a two point advantage within the match. Exactly. Yes. So I say, get rid of all the garbage. Let's play the game and let the winner win the football game. All right. Speaking of USC, Notre Dame, Jim, what do you like? <laughs> well, I'm going to, well, Notre Dame has played a lot of games in a row. They really have, I mean, they, the, the loss to Louisville, all that. I mean, there's, there's, you could put knocks on either one of these teams at this point. And you look at the defense for USC the last couple of weeks, it's all valid. They have not looked good. And now they're going up, uh, you know, play Notre Dame on the road. And you're going to have weather there because you're talking about Indiana. So on, on the surface, you would say Notre Dame, but I, I'm not, I'm not there. I really don't love the side. I'd probably take the dog. If I could probably get three, it, it could be very, it could be very close. Andy. Yeah. I'm looking the same, the same way because let's all remember that uh, Notre Dame also has that transfer quarterback from Wake Forest. Who's been having an outstanding season for the Irish, but Jim, the first comments Jim made, they came off three tough games in a row. The, the loss in the final minute at home to Ohio State. The next week, the loss in the final, the win on the final minute in the win at uh, Duke. And then last week, the uh, loss at Louisville in game, which Louisville really pretty much led wire to wire in that one. But that takes a lot out of you, even an elite program, even though they are young kids. But at the same time, Southern Cal does have some deficiencies to be concerned about. You could excuse the Colorado one to the extent that, well, they had a comfortable lead and they were, you know, just uh, never, they never thought that they'd be in a position where it would be a one, one score game. That should have gotten their attention for the game last week at home against Arizona. So there are some issues. That being said, you know, Notre Dame's chance at a national title is pretty much over. I mean, Next year, maybe with two losses, you're under consideration when the playoffs expand to uh, 12 teams, and Notre Dame could go, uh, you know, 10 and two next year, uh, or like they might do this year. On the other hand, USC, you know, has a legitimate chance again of making it to the uh, college football playoff, being undefeated, although they still have some tough tests ahead of them, and then the Pac-12 uh, championship game. So 
Well, Notre Dame is reduced to being a spoiler, and right now USC is in a position to have their season spoiled. That being said, if I can get plus three with uh, the Trojans, that's the way I'm playing. By the way, Marcus Freeman just one in five against the spread as a home favorite. So there's that. Um, Victor, uh, before you give me your analysis on the game, what did you think the spread was going to be? Uh, well, again, I'm, I'm the totals guy. I anticipated a spread somewhere in the low 60s, and we're right around 60 as we speak. With that said, I actually think there's a little bit of value on the under. It's tough to say that when you're talking about a USC defense that's been as bad as it has. But I'm I'm concerned. You know, Andy touched on Sam Hartman, the transfer from Wake Forest. Man, he came out of the gate blazing in the first couple of games of the season, a couple of 40-point outings right out of the gate. But I'm concerned about the Notre Dame offense, 21 or less points in each of their last three games. They've lost two out of three. Sam Hartman seems a little bit lost as well. I would lean under in the game, guys. Mark, were you uh, surprised at all that Notre Dame was a two-point favorite? I was a little bit surprised, Greg. I got to say that I thought uh, I thought the game was going to open up pick and let uh, the odds makers just let the sharps decide which way the favorite was going to move in the game. I never saw the pick as an opener, and I think a lot of that point spread is largely based upon what happened to Southern Cal the week before going into triple overtime against Arizona and the fact that you had Notre Dame coming at home, back home. And uh, you also got to ask yourself, will the Irish lose back-to-back games in South Bend because their last home game was against Ohio State. So you know they're going to come with everything they've got in this football contest here. I like Notre Dame in the game. I'm just not crazy to have to lay points. If they would have been pick them or plus, I'd have been on the Irish. Andy? Yeah, you're muted, Andy. I just got up to take a look at the Westgate College Football Games of the Year from over the summer, and this, of course, was one of the ones that they did have a bettable point spread up. And, Mark, you were right. Uh, this game did open. Or it was sitting there all summer. USC, Notre Dame, a pick em. There you go. Uh, before well, I was I, surprised, yes. Before I ask you about uh, NFL, um, I, I got to ask you about what many people believe could be the biggest game of the weekend. Uh, I know it is out west, Jim. Oregon and Washington. <laughs> well, yes. You know, there's experts on this on this call that have better opinions on college than I do. I, I, I would uh, tough take the points. <laughs> Can I just say that out there? Just take the points, Andy. It's a toss-up. I mean, you know, we talk about these marquee games, but that's not always where the money is to be made. And uh, you're better off looking at, you know, other teams like the two lanes of the world or Florida International or something where the odds makers aren't as sharp. And um, these these tough games, when you got matchups like this, they've analyzed them. They come out with sharp spreads and not every spread is beatable. Andy? Yeah. um, When you get a matchup like this, you got two really outstanding offenses. Oregon has displayed a little better tendency to play defense as far as the numbers are concerned. Either team can win this game. Both teams are capable of taking the field and beating virtually any opponent they face. With that said, I'd have to take a look at taking the points with Oregon because it's just as likely that if they cover the spread, they'll win the game. Uh, If you like Washington, and I think Jim does this a lot, instead of laying the three, play Washington on the money line. I'll, I'll, I'll likely play the game. But I'll certainly have to make sure that this line does not go any lower than the three where it's at now. Vic? With Oregon. 
Well, again, it's all about the totals for me, guys. And this is one of the few that I will be betting over this week. 67 and a half. The bar is set really, really high. I'm not afraid that Oregon has gone 0 and 4 to the under in their last four games, considering they have not played a legitimate offense. And I consider Washington to have the best offense in all of college football. In fact, the only game that Oregon did play against a semi-decent offense was probably their second game against Texas Tech, uh, a game that was 38-30 to 30 and went over the total. So, again, despite uh, uh, their gaudy under numbers for Oregon, well, obviously you got to look to see who they have played to get to that 1-4 and over-under record. And, of course, uh, Michael Penix, Washington, hmm, he's number one in terms of the Heisman Trophy odds currently right now. In fact, it's basically a two-horse race between Caleb Williams and Michael Penix, the two Pac-12 schools, as far as the Heisman goes. And he's off of a little bit of a uh, low-scoring game last week. So look for a big rebound at home, and I'm playing over 67 and a half. So you're also suggesting Bo Nix has a chance to make it a threesome at the hot top of the Heisman Trophy uh, ladder. He, he puts in a big effort with uh, uh, with Oregon this week against Absolutely. Oregon. He could join the big boys with a big game. Mark, uh, Oregon yes. is 2-7. and seven. Against the spread, their last nine as a road dog. Who do you like in the game? Well, I'll say this to that stat, Greg, is uh, never in any of those nine games did Oregon take the field playing with a loss from revenge when they were a 12-point favorite against this team last year and had their rug pulled out on them, as Washington did to Oregon last season. And Bo Nix got hurt late in that game. Yes, right. exactly. So you have a big revenge aspect here for Oregon, staring them in the, in the face here. And it also goes to something that I do within the well-oiled machine. And whenever you pair undefeated teams, I call it a collision course. And you get to game five or later in the season, you got two undefeated teams. You always looked for the dog. You can make deeper cases for the dog, but you don't lay the favorite because the dogs come in with a chip on their shoulder. They've proven their worthy enough to be an undefeated football team. So combine the revenge with the collision course, I'll be taking the points here. You know, Mark, uh, this is a situation that doesn't happen that frequently this deep into the season. It may happen in the Big Ten. But Oregon and Washington coming into the game, same conference, unbeaten. Would you look to perhaps, again, to make sure the number's decent, to go against both of these teams next week, the team that had its undefeated season spoiled and the team that we just got a leg up on uh, the other undefeated team in the conference, or at least in this case, one of the other two teams with the SC in there as well. Well, that would probably be the first look, Andy, but I think what's more important to the answer is who they're playing uh, the next week. And, uh, you know, what kind of opponent, uh, you know, is an opponent have a reason to come to play? Is an opponent a defensively sound football team? But uh, knee-jerk reaction would be to fade uh, the winner of this football game. Next uh, Oregon yeah. might be the team to fade. Uh, they host wa a very good Washington State team the next week. There you go. And I believe Washington plays uh, one of the Arizona teams next week, and they uh, well, that would host be Arizona, Arizona State. State. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Washington is a 21-point favorite on the look-ahead line next week, and uh, Oregon is a 14-point home favorite against Washington State wow. on the look-ahead line. Uh, yeah, and by the way, these two teams could face each other again in the Pac-12 championship game. Very possible. That so too. we have to keep that in mind. Uh, by the way, uh, Victor, I was going to go to the NFL but uh, to wrap up, but I, you brought up the schedule. So I'm, I'm going to ask this. Jim, uh, is this is there a specific time of year? Because I was going over the games this week, and I started realizing, well, all of a sudden I'm starting to look at how 
who the teams have played this season. Like I've noticed where in certain games, well, wait a second, this one team might have lost four straight games, but look who they played. Uh, and the other team might have more wins and so forth and so on. It might look better, but look who they've played. Is there a certain point in the season where you take a look at the schedule and make it that much more important in your evaluation? You're at that point. Yeah. Um, you know, strength of schedule is is a key factor in, in handicapping. Now, if you played a weak schedule and you, you did well against that weak schedule, you just have to say, well, there's nothing. They don't make the schedule. They went out on the field and they did their job against teams that are weak. Now, you don't always learn from that because there's so many things that happen in a football game if they're winning every game by 30 points against a weak schedule. You don't really know how good they are because they haven't been tested. But when you start the season off against, like, for example, Dallas, I don't want to pick on Dallas all the time, but they beat the Giants. I think it was like 40 to nothing or something in the first couple of games. They were like 64 to – I mean, they, they, they were winning everything like crazy. And then – you know, throw them on the road against Arizona, and Arizona just pumped them. And then they came back home off of that, and they beat another team that was rather easy. And they went and wrote, and they got the real test on, on Sunday night against San Francisco. So now you have to say, well, how good is this team? They only beat bad teams. And when they went up against a really, really, really good team, they didn't show up at all. So now I look at they're going up against – the Chargers coming off a bye. Chargers are a very good team. They have a couple of injuries. Nobody likes their coach, but everybody loves their quarterback. And they're, they're going to get some players back as well from injury. You have to say, well, does Dallas really deserve to be two and a half, three point favorite on the road? Especially with the offensive coordinator that they had last year now on the Chargers sideline. Kellen Moore. Exactly Kellen Moore. Right. Yeah. Um, I was, I was going to mention yeah, something, Andy. Greg. Uh, the beauty of football is also one of the greatest weaknesses of football, and that is every game means something because there are so few games, which means there are so few data points from which you can draw reasonable conclusions. Mark, I don't know if you do this in your database. I do it in mine. I keep separate statistics on how teams do against common opponents, whether they be in conference or out of conference. So uh, I'll take a look. Uh, I'm trying to remember the example of the game this week that I, that I took a look at. I think it was North Carolina State and Duke. And take a look, and I think they've had two or three common opponents. And I break it down not just into how they did score-wise, but what was the yardage, what was the yards per play, the rushing, et cetera. I get a little bit more of a meaningful assessment of those two teams relative just to each other by comparing them against teams that both teams have faced. Now, of course, there's still very few data points overall. And then when you break it down, home and road, injuries, etc. But at least it gives a little bit more meaningful uh, bite to the analysis that you can spot where, uh, and I think it was I think it was Duke having a, a nice edge against North Carolina, you know, North Carolina State. I, th I think they both played Notre Dame this year, and I think they both played UConn, and there may have been one other team, but I know it was those two at least. So uh, I want to know, Mark, do you break things down? Because that's also part of when you talk about schedule difficulty and trying to assess the quality of who the teams have played and how they did. I think uh, common opponents is a, is a great part of the handicapping, Andy, and uh, it especially works real well, obviously, in the second half of the season when you've got more common opponents that you can weigh them against, especially in college football the month of November as the football teams get ready to prepare for bowl games, the National Football League the month of December. 
But uh, it's something that I automatically do is look at the common opponents and see exactly how they fare. Now, there are circumstances, as you said, in those games that happened originally. If you make notes about those circumstances, you know, a team might not have had their starting quarterback, as a for instance, or a running back may have went down in a football game. So you can take all that with a grain of salt. But common opponent stats are critically important when it comes to handicapping. Uh, that's a good segue into the NFL. Uh, last couple of things before we move on. And um, I wanted to ask, uh, I wanted to ask you guys, there are two first year head coaches that have actually been pretty impressive so far. Um, D'Amico Ryan's for Houston and Jonathan Gannon for Arizona. I mean, I don't think anybody expected Arizona to play this tough with their quarterback situation uh, with what it is. So Victor, Long term, uh, are you buying D'Amico Ryan's or Jonathan Gannon? Oh, I'm buying. I'm on the uh, Houston bandwagon, man. I've been uh, on the bandwagon, uh, particularly Tuco here with some of his team totals, basically from uh, day one. Uh, yes, they're only two and three on the season, but they're one of the few under 500 teams that have a plus scoring differential. They got the guy they wanted in C.J. Stroud. I mean, uh, we talked at the top of the show about uh, how there is some there's some dissension down there in Carolina between Tepper, the owner, and Frank Reich, the head coach, in terms of uh, how dissatisfied their draft was. And it is the exact opposite in Houston. They love their head coach. They love their new defensive first-round player. They love they love their Ohio State quarterback, and I'm all in on the uh, Texans, man. Yeah, wasn't it in the in the draft process? I, I could have sworn there was. Uh, I forget who it was, an assistant coach, and it might have been an assistant coach. I, I believe it was with Carolina, who's made some remark. I don't know if it was McCown who made a remark about. Well, we'll see you. We're gonna we'll see you in April or something like that. And everybody thought that was the tip that Carolina was gonna be taking CJ Stroud. And then all of a sudden in the last week it changed. And and then all of a sudden everybody started realizing, well, we thought that's where it was. So maybe that's exactly what we're hearing now. Is that maybe Frank White did want him. Maybe that was where they were going to go. But then the owner intervened. And it was his call. That's 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 what I think I heard today in the in the press conference. I think I know Andy followed that as well. But that's what it seems like McCown and Frank Reich wanted Stroud and David Tepper, who's a very strong man, strong willed man uh, that wanted the other guy. And they, of course, they're going to go with what he says. By the way, I don't I, don't you guys think it's way too early to judge whether uh, C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young is the better quarterback? It is, but you know we we constantly make these we have to make these assessments on a week to week basis if we're betting these games. Now the question you brought up, Gannon versus uh, uh, D'Amico Ryan, it's not as easy a question to answer as you might think. Aside from the fact that you know it's only been five games because Ryan has done D'Amico Ryan has done tremendous you know in Houston. With a first-year quarterback, well, Gannon has done much better than expected, with, especially with some of the players that they gave up on before the season, considering he's effectively got a first-year quarterback in Dobbs with uh, no Kyler Murray. So the, uh, the, the challenges faced by both head coaches are fairly even in many respects, and um, 
I generally prefer defensive coaches for the most part uh, because if you can keep your opponent from scoring, you can't lose a game. Of course, your offense has to score, and that's usually you know, going to happen as well. Uh, but both of these and, – and, and Jim pointed out what the Eagles have missed – in Gannon's departure from the defense, because this was considered before the start of the season, maybe one of the best NFL defenses over the past decade with what they had and what they acquired in the draft. So his absence or his departure has been felt. They're starting to make adjustments now, but it shows just what a good coach the Cardinals had and a car and, a, and the coach with an offensive uh, uh, from a defense standpoint, had to make some tough decisions with the offense, leaving that to the, the offensive coordinator, et cetera. So, I think both teams have been and will continue to be very satisfied with their coaching decisions. But then again, as I mentioned earlier, I prefer the Houston organizational culture over the Arizona culture. But let's uh, let's give the uh, the younger Bidwell a little bit more time in Arizona. Hey, guys, uh, I'm going to throw this in there while we're on the subject of C.J. Stroud and uh, Bryce Young. Uh, we came across this over the course of the summer before uh, or right after the National Football League draft. And uh, they, they do these things now called S2 uh, cognition tests on these athletes. Uh, before, it used to be the Wonderlic. And that sort of got outdated. And these S2 cognition tests are a little bit more uh, responsive and evaluation of how they react to certain situations. So anyway, when they did them this year, uh, the number one quarterback in college football this year that came out that had the highest S2 cognition rating at 98% was Bryce Young. The number eight quarterback out of eight quarterbacks that were reported was C.J. Stroud at 18%. So what does that mean? That means do you take these, these cognition tests and throw them out the window because Stroud has really outperformed Bryce Young, or is that just another metric that the National Football League loves to use when it comes to analyzing drafting quarterbacks? Yeah, I guess that is Good something question, yeah. we're going to find out. Uh, and before I turn it back over to you, Mark – did you? I just wanted to remind everybody about uh, another trend that worked big time and a trend that you can pick up in the Playbook Preview Guide magazine, which was the dog in the Pittsburgh-Baltimore series <laughs> winning again. There it is, Victor. Winning again. Unbelievable. It wins again, and here Pittsburgh wins a football game. And they're atop the N or the AFC North, and they've been outyarded in every football game they played. This <laughs> I'm year. wondering if we've ever seen a weekend or a week in the NFL where, at one point during the game, the score was 10 to three and 10 to five, and that happened both in the Pittsburgh-Baltimore game and the Jets-Denver game last week. <laughs> you know, there was a reason, guys, that I decided to use uh, Pittsburgh plus the points as my top-rated selection in last week's Wise Guy contest. Yeah. And I'm glad I did. And, nice you, and we're going to have to take him again in what, a few weeks? Oh, All right. Yeah. Mark it down. <laughs> it's your show, Mark. All right, guys. Uh, we enjoyed this segment of the roundtable. Thanks, Greg, for chipping in and the great thoughts and everything from everybody. Uh, before I let Victor and Andy go, I'm going to have them hang around here. After I do my awesome angle, I want to get some final thoughts from them. So let's switch things over to our awesome angle of the week. It's a pretty popular segment on the show. This week's awesome angle, I call it Take 5. And what we're looking to do is to play on any National Football League non-division team in game number six if they open up the season with five consecutive ATS point spread losses. And you can only imagine if a team opens up 
0-5, their first five games against the spread. Number one, there's not a soul in the public that's going to want to bet this football team. Number two, there's going to be a lot of value about this football team because of a situation like that, and there is. You go back to 1990, these teams have been 15 of them have opened up 0-5 to the spread, and in game six, they're 11-4 and to the spread. They come back 73% of the time to cash the ticket. So we'll be playing on the New York Giants this week, a football team that, like I say, not a lot of the popular public's going to want. But look inside these numbers at the New York Giants this week, guys. They rushed the football for 4.5 yards a carry. Buffalo allows 5.6 yards a carry. That's their Achilles heel of the Buffalo rush defense. It's pathetic. Now you've got Saquon Barkley said to be back for the Giants this particular week. And you roll that into the fact that here comes Buffalo back from London, and our database tells us that 600 or better teams that come back from London who lost straight up and against the spread in that game in London, it's happened five times. Those 600 better teams have lost all five times straight up and against the spread. Really, really powerful numbers coming to the New York Giants this week. You can play on them. The only problem is you have to play on the New York Giants. But that is our <laughs> awesome angle of the week. And, the if it goes to, and if it goes to 6-0, and people would have collected a nice money line play on the Giants. Yes, they would. That might. I think Jim Spice might smell something like that. I don't know, but I'm just guessing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know for sure. Uh, with that, guys, I'm going to uh, – well, Andy, before I let you go, Jim, before I let you go, Andy, uh, your complimentary play on the football show this week before you get out of here. I know our listeners would love to know what you're looking at. Well, I'm going to look at the uh, game in London this week, Baltimore uh, laying three and a half or four points against the uh, Tennessee Titans, both teams were unable to protect second-half leads last week and each lost on the road to division rivals. Uh, Baltimore has dealt, again, with key injuries this season, yet still plays solid defense, ranking number two in allowing just 3.8 yards per play. Tennessee's number 21 at 5.4. That's a considerable uh, difference between those uh, two numbers. Uh, despite the presence of running back uh, Derrick Henry, the Titans are barely average and averaging just 107 rushing yards per game, which is number 18 compared to Baltimore, averaging 146 yards per game, which is number fourth in the league. Now, part of that is Baltimore quarterback uh, uh, Lamar Jackson, who I rate significantly uh, better than uh, Tennessee quarterback Tannehill, both in quarterback rating, uh, well, both in quarterback rating and in the ability to do things with his feet uh, in the game. Uh, both teams excel at defending the run, but Baltimore's been much better in defending the pass. Now, one of the stats I like to use, a lot of folks like to look at yards per pass attempt. That's a meaningless statistic. It's like apples and oranges because what is an, what does yards per attempt have to do with yards gained, which is really what you're looking for. And so when I take a look at the yards per uh, gain, or in this case, yards per pass allowed, pass completion allowed, Baltimore second best allowing just 8.7 yards per pass completion to the opposition. And Tennessee allows 11.3, which is bottom, bottom 11, number 22. Uh, despite uh, playing just five games, these teams have faced three uh, common foes, Cincinnati, Cleveland, and Indianapolis, and Baltimore has uh, performed better against those three than uh, uh, than have the uh, the Titans, who I think, I don't know if they've ever recovered from that the 7-3 and three start last year when they ended up losing seven uh, straight games. So uh, I'm on the uh, Tennessee Titans laying, uh, excuse me, I'm on the Baltimore Ravens laying the three and a half or four this week at Len London. 
And the only tough part about it is I got to get up at 630 in the morning to watch the, to watch the bet uh, unfold. <laughs> Andy Isco on the Baltimore Ravens to bounce back in London this week. Andy, I, I agree 100% with you on that side selection, by the way. And Jim, before we let you get out of here, any final thoughts that you might have on the NFL card this week? Well, I've a lot of them, and it, it's uh, it's it's hard when when you have too many to pick out. Uh, you know, I I almost never play road favorites, uh, but in this case, I'm going to do it. And this is crazy for me to do this. The way the Philadelphia Eagles are playing, which is getting out to the big lead or a comfortable lead, and then just sitting on the ball and grinding and grinding, and the clock just eats and eats and eats. I'm going to give you the the Jets Eagles under. I know it's sitting at it went from 41 or 42 and a half to 41. I suspect it's going to go lower. We also have some potential weather, which means rain and wind uh, this weekend. The Eagles will get the lead in this game and they will just grind it. And you're going to look at an underplay, probably a very boring, boring game. It's not going to come down to what Zach Wilson does, it's going to come down to what the offensive coordinator does for Philadelphia, and that's going to just be keep the ball out of their hands, go down, kick a field goal, score a touchdown, and play solid defense. That's the way they're winning. This is a little bit old-style football. It's like 1960s, the way they're playing. But uh, they're doing it very well, and they have the capability of throwing the ball down the field because Hertz is hes a great athlete. He's really doing well. So I'm surprised the team is doing as well as they are with the new coordinators at both ends, the offense and defense, but they're solid. They're really solid. Jim on the Jets under for his thought on the football card this weekend. And I guess, Jim, I guess you're anticipating a, a lot of brotherly shove plays by Philadelphia to kind of keep drives alive, turn the clock out and help the under in that football game. Some, somebody, some people are saying it's the brotherly push or the brother nudge and other people are saying it's the tushish, tookish push. So I like that one. <laughs> While we're there, I was going to bring this up in our in our roundtable. Do you guys agree with me that that play looks like illegal? It looks it looks like it shouldn't be allowed somehow. It looks, it looks like, more like it looks more like rugby. Rugby, exactly. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I, don't, I don't I don't like it. They they've perfected it. They do it well. I think but, USC would have liked that play to be legal back uh, <laughs> in their championship game against Texas. Yeah, the Richard right. Bush days, right? Yeah. Yep. Wow. Okay, I think great insight from Andy Isco. Next year. I'm sorry, Jim? It probably will be illegal by next year. Yep. Yep. But why, why, well, if they can allow that play, why can't you have a defender jump on the back of a defender in front of them to block a field goal or something? It's the same, you, you, same concept. You cannot do that, no. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's a good point there as well. Okay, guys, we're going to move on to my and Victor's complimentary plays in the show. Once again, great job by Andy Isco and Jim Feist, if you will. Victor, I'm going to turn it over to you for what it is you're looking at for your complimentary play on the card this week. And let our listeners know out there what you got on tap this weekend. Will do, Mark. First off, uh, don't forget this week's issue of Total's Tip Sheet number six, available for, of uh, course, $11 at the PlaybookSports.com website. And all of our uh, King Creole selections, you can go there as well, or you can get there via the uh, website shortcut. Just punch this into your web browser, and that's pb.buzz slash vk. That'll get you to the uh, shortcut to King Creole's 
web page at the playbook website for all of this weekend selections. Uh, we're going to give the ball to Isabella, our little uh, dachshund doggy, for this week's free play. We're doing that because I'm a little frustrated, guys. Uh, in each of the last two weeks in the NFL, our King Creole over of the week lost. And in each of those two games, we had 31 combined points by both teams at the half and a shitty low-scoring second half. I haven't done the research, but I'll be willing to bet, pun intended, that first half overs in the NFL have been profitable this season, while second half unders have been extremely, extremely profitable. The two games I'm talking about was the Eagles game that Jim was just talking about. Last week we were on the Eagles-Rams over the total, 17-14 to 14 at the half. In the second half, two lousy field goals combined by both teams. Two weeks before that, it was the Chargers hosting the Raiders at home. Chargers winning 24-7 to at the half, 31 combined points. And in the second half, 10-0. to So, again, I'm a little frustrated by what's been going on in the second half of NFL games when it comes to our overs. And when I get frustrated, we give the ball to Monkey. Isabella is her name. And last week she cashed right here on this show with the Dolphins under the total against the Giants. And guess what? She's doing it again. She's playing the Panthers and Dolphins under this week. Again, down here in South Florida. Make sure you get 48 and a half or higher. And it's the same system that we used last week in our database. When you get a big non-division home favorite by more than a touchdown, they've gone three and 19 over under in the last two years when the over under line of these games is greater than 45 points. That's the case this week. Again, with the Panthers down here in South Florida to take on the Dolphins. Uh, Panthers on an extended losing streak. Uh, I also ran a query for that in our database. This has gone six and 24 in the last seven years. 1-10 in, in the last three years, NFL underdogs of less than 14 points off three or more straight up and ATS losses in a row. That applies to the Panthers when the over and line is 43 or more. And uh, sealing the deal, you got an AFC Conference home team, you got an NFC Conference road team, 1-11 and 11, last 10 years in the NFL. When you get an AFC Conference double-digit home favorite, like Miami, and they're taking on an NFC opponent like Carolina when the over under line is 44 or more. We're giving the ball back to Monkey. She's going under with the Panthers-Dolphins. That's your free play for this week. Victor goes under in that Dolphins-Panthers football game for his free play on the football card this week. And a reminder, our listeners and viewers out there, you can pick up on all of King Creole selections every week, every day at playbooksports.com. Log on at playbooksports.com. And, Victor, what's that shortcut address, It's uh, if you would? That would be pb.buzz slash vk. There you go. That'll take you directly to what Victor's got on tap each and every day. Before I get to my complimentary play, I want to remind our listeners out there that I'm using my college football perfect system play of the year this week. Last year, we used Marshall, an 11-point dog who won the game straight up. I've got another live dog on tap in a perfect system. It's part of our Perfect System Football Weekend of Winners. You can check it out online at playbooksports.com or give our office a call toll-free at 
7777. For my complimentary play on the football card this week, I want to preface it by saying this. Uh, a good friend of mine I've talked before in the past, his name was Richard Clamian. He was a sports book director at the Stardust. And Richard joined me when we were doing our uh, TV and radio shows live nationally back in the late 90s. And Richard would always call in from a phone booth in Vegas and report on all the, the moves that had happened in his dogs. And he loved the big dogs. And he got me to liking big, ugly dogs because Richard cashed with those big, ugly dogs. I'm going to go to a big, ugly dog on the National Football League card this week. They might not be a big dog, but they're certainly ugly. That's going to be the New England Patriots taking the points from Las Vegas this week. Certainly ugly, yes, <laughs> for sure. Uh, here's a football team that's been outscored. What is it, 70, 78 to, or 72 to 3 the last two football games? Uh, absolutely unbelievable. But I read one of the wildest stats that I've come across here, and he announced that. Mac Jones is going to be his quarterback again this week. He really doesn't have any other choice, but he announced he's going to stand by his man this particular week. And uh, what I came across was that Mac Jones tossed another pick six against the Cowboys uh, last week. And he has four career pick sixes at Gillette Stadium this for in his career, Mac Jones does. That's as many as Tom Brady had at Gillette Stadium in his entire career. And he's got four of them, <laughs> uh, Mac Jones does so far. So I'm going to look for things to even out and get a little bit better for this football team. And who are we beating here? We're beating Vegas, guys. The Raiders are coming off a rare win, a rare home win, if you will, in a, in a contest like this. I think you're going to see a much better effort by New England. You have to see a much better effort by New England. I said this last week, and they completely dissolved. But with that, we're going to take the points with New England against Las Vegas for my complimentary play on the football card this week. And that's going to put the final wraps on this edition of Mark Lawrence against the spread. I want to thank our co-host Victor King from King Creole sports, Andy Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com, and our good friend, Jim Feist, the living legend in Las Vegas for their help on the show this week. Great insight and handicapping information. If you didn't pick up anything in the show, you weren't listening until nice. next week. This is Mark Lawrence reminding you to always to remember to bet with your head, not over it. And good luck as always.